0: Welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, joined by Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports in Tuscaloosa. Travis Ryer, uh, looking at the SEC championship game, of course, a big preview for you on tap. Uh, we'll t- look at a little bit bigger picture uh, after the sponsor break, but. Uh, uh, you can get ta- uh, Talking tied at podbean.com, our web host, also on various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And with that, we jump right in. SEC Championship game, Travis. Alabama and Georgia. The Bulldogs come in 11-0, 7-1 in league play. Alabama, of course, 12-0, 8-0. Set for a 3 p.m. Central time kickoff on CBS at uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Travis, kind of the game that, that's been expected for a while now and really f- probably for some people expected since before the season began.
1: Yeah, and thankfully Georgia comes in with a loss because if both these teams were undefeated, this might be exhibition football on Saturday as far as the college football playoff goes. I mean, the narrative right now is that regardless of what happens, barring a blowout of Alabama, the Crimson Tide may very well already be in the college football playoff. Uh, if that were the case, if Georgia hadn't stumbled against LSU around <laughs> midseason, we may be talking about that for both these teams. Yeah, it's a nice trophy, and you want to win those conference championships, but with this playoff uh, that we have now, and especially when you start thinking ahead to maybe eight teams, how it could be devalued, uh, or, or maybe conference championship Saturdays go away altogether in a expanded college football playoff format, uh, at least we got something on the table. I mean, for Georgia – for Georgia, everything's out there. You know, uh, there's been some some rumblings and some talk about well, even with two losses, Georgia should still be a top four team. We both know that's not going to happen. If you've got one loss conference champs like Oklahoma and Ohio State out there, uh, you, you're not going to get a two loss non conference SEC team in that four team field. So for Georgia, it's desperation mode. For Alabama, you know, it's about something bigger. Uh, it's trying to become that first Alabama team since 2009 to run the table and chase we've seen some really good Alabama teams as recent as a couple years ago not able to pull off that feat
0: and not as, in as dominant a fashion either i, I mean really the, the difference between this Alabama team and the other 11 Nick Saban Alabama teams is has been uh, has been the margin of victory consistent week to week uh been some sp- national championship Alabama teams with a loss or without a loss that uh have not been that consistent. I think we mentioned it last week, Travis. They've beaten every team they've played by twenty plus uh, uh had never been done before since uh
1: since the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, the Yaleys, right? Wasn't it right. the Yale Bulldogs of eighteen eighty eight? I mean that had to be about when football started, <laughs> you know? <laughs> who were they mean... I wanna know who <laughs> they were beating, okay? I wanna know who I wanna see the schedule. Uh some tavern squads, you know, some of the local taverns there in New Haven probably had some some squads that they ran out there. Um but there I'll tell you this, there is something on the table for the coaches, good bread. You know what this is this time of year, right? Incentives season kick in for guys like Kirby Smart oh, and yeah. Nick Saban. A little cash <laughs> on the table coming up for those guys. Kirby already got a hundred K for winning the sec east for making the sec championship game if georgia wins saturday kirby gets an extra 225 Uh. and then uh if georgia wins the college football playoff altogether he gets an extra 700k uh nick gets 400k for making the cfp 600k if he gets to the championship game and 800k good bread if he wins it all so a little run here a little 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 run of checks potentially Nick might be able to add on to that boathouse over here on Lake Tuscaloosa and uh, pick uh, up a couple of those checks uh, that's
0: that's like eating the entire porterhouse and then ordering the, prim, the creme brulee with the raspberry on it You know, I mean, just absolutely
1: seems- <laughs> and two of them, make it two while you're at
0: it <laughs> So, yeah, Eaton, for sure. And it's also, of course, buyout season uh, for the the schools that that maybe aren't where they want to be. So, yeah, a lot of money flies around in college football uh, when the weather gets cold. That's for sure. Uh, But uh, the Georgia game, Travis, the the Georgia offense kind of start there with that group for sure. Jake Fromm, one of the best passers in the nation a really steady running game with a couple of explosive backs what's new that's what george's offense always seems to bring at least one hellacious back if not more than one that's the case again uh, a little bit better at wide receiver now than they were at, at the end of the mark rick there i would say w- at which point i think george's receivers were pretty bad frankly uh, compared to the rest of the SEC. But Kirby Smart's uh, uh, picked it up on the outside, certainly, personnel-wise. And, and, you know, this offense is one that hums
1: when it's going right. It really is. And it's a sort of two-headed approach at running back, as you know, DeAndre Swift, Elijah Holyfield, basically what we saw a year ago with Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. But just six carries separate Swift and Holyfield. 139 carries – for DeAndre Swift this season through the regular season chase, 133 for Elijah Holyfield. And they're really close in yards per carry. And, and with that sort of net rushing totals, 6.9 yards per carry for DeAndre Swift, uh, 6.7 for Elijah Holyfield, nine rushing touchdowns for Swift, seven for Holyfield. So really, really close. Not quite the same rushing touchdown production, maybe, uh, as we saw a year ago with Michelle and Chubb, but two backs in a running game, even with some injury issues, uh, especially at that one guard spot up front, that just continues to seem to pile up big, big numbers, over 700 rushing yards uh, and eight rushing touchdowns for Georgia in its last two games.
0: Yeah, the offense ranked 13th in the nation at 481 yards per game. Miko um, Hardman, uh, certainly a threat as well, along with those running backs. you got Nauta, the tight end. Uh, definitely no shortage of weapons uh, for one Jake Fromm. And as you said, Holyfield and Swift both averaging close to seven yards a carry. Uh, that's something we've seen from... Uh, some really good Alabama rushing attacks uh, in recent years. I want to say maybe the Henry Drake year. They were way up there, and both of those guys in yards per carry. But uh, it's a it's a tough thing to deal with the Alabama defensive front. Uh, definitely tasked between the tackles on Saturday. The Georgia defense. Your thoughts there, Travis? A group that's that's uh, athletic for sure, and and, and definitely has uh, some impressive talent in spots haven't always played to it uh but still yet the defense ranked 12th in the nation giving up just 303 yards per game i, I think if if there's anything about this Georgia defense you got a question if you're uh you know Mike Loxley and you're looking for uh, a soft punch through uh, the Georgia pass rush certainly hadn't been what uh, uh what Kirby Smart would have wanted
1: uh to put it in perspective For georgia from that standpoint 20 sacks in 12 regular season games for georgia uh alabama has twice that amount 40 sacks for alabama through 12 games and tackles for loss in general uh a real problem for the bulldogs just 52 tackles for loss on the season another area where alabama has just about doubled uga so that that is the concern uh, twofold, I think, for Georgia on Saturday defensively. First of all, we know you have to get to Tua Tagovailoa. You at least have to make uh, him get off his spot on occasion, and even then, he's shown that he can be effective uh, sort of outside the cup. Uh, but even in the run game, you know, th- this this matchup between Alabama's offense and Georgia's defense. Tell me what you think. I, I see this kind of like when Alabama went to LSU. You know, LSU really solid in a lot of areas. Uh, You know, probably the back end with Greedy Williams and Delpit and those guys that were healthy at the time. I would go with that secondary a little bit over Georgia, although I know all about DeAndre Baker. I know he's a first-round pick for the 2019 NFL draft. I understand all that. But I think as a whole, that LSU secondary may be a little more stout. Uh, And then in the front seven, just not enough playmaking. You lose Roquan Smith to the chicago bears of the nfl and you know that's a guy who had 14 tackles for loss last year chase as you know right now as georgia heads into this game saturday it's top four inside linebackers and it's been kind of a revolving door situation throughout the season for georgia in that regard it's top four inside linebackers combined good bread just nine tackles for loss That's not going to get it Saturday because you've got to get this Alabama offense off schedule as much as you possibly can. If it's living in second and five and second and four, uh, you know, Alabama, it can do it with explosive plays to begin with. But it would be more than happy to just sort of methodically beat you down if that's the route that that proves to be uh, viable.
0: Mel Tucker and Kirby Smart can't bring it on the quarterbacks the way they want to, uh, either with a four-man rush or, or at times e- even more than that. And, and in some ways, I think it makes it difficult to judge the secondary because of that, uh, because you do see a fair bit of, of your split safety stuff and softer coverages from the Bulldogs. I don't think they have much of a choice in that uh, if, they, if if they had a more consistent pass rush I, you know, Mel Tucker would rather have corners more, more, uh, more up in guys' faces. So um, there's that consideration as well. Uh, but uh, but yeah, if uh, if if Georgia can't get to Tongavaloa and they play soft and and they they kind of you know dare them to to dink it down the field shouldn't be any problem for him whatsoever although it's something he hasn't been forced to do much because this year because he's been so successful uh with with downfield more vertical stuff
1: yeah the chunk plays have obviously been huge for Alabama uh in the passing game this year but i think on occasion he has shown that he'll check the football down i mean we've seen him do it a couple times on touchdown passes um You know, Josh Jacobs has been involved in some of that. Damian Harris we've seen involved uh, in some of that. So, you know, look, I think Georgia's got one corner similar to LSU had in Greedy Williams. You can take DeAndre Baker and say, okay, his side of the field, we're going to man up. And then maybe we can commit help uh, to other places. But I don't see Georgia bringing the house like I've heard other people talk about simply because they don't have enough DBs that can man up the other guys yeah if it were as simple as saying okay DeAndre you go with Jerry Judy and that's pretty much how we're gonna play it now what are you doing with these other guys good yeah. bread you know and and then the tight end comes into play with Irv Smith Jr. and and the backs and what we've seen Alabama be able to do with those guys I know George is gonna have a great plan between Kirby and Mel Tucker there's no question about that but again it comes down to people do you have enough people to deal with this Alabama offense
0: uh from the Alabama side of things uh i guess injury and personnel wise we could start there it looks like Isaiah Bugs in pretty good shape uh with uh after that that cut block uh against Auburn uh, um what else you got you got the uh you got the mate uh, Terrell Lewis
1: uh, Tur- yeah Terrell Lewis you know, Nick ruled him out yesterday he returned to practice earlier in the week but you know we saw him out there monday tuesday wednesday but Nick pretty much put the kebosh on that uh, last night at his press conference on Wednesday night.
0: Yeah, and, and we, we kind of saw it last year when a couple of linebackers just kind of popped on popped right back into practice in, in late November or December last year, Travis, when Alabama had been just ravaged by injury at the linebacker position. That you, you don't just jump in and start playing like it's October uh, in, in situations like that. And so, uh, you know, even had Terrell Lewis been cleared i'm not sure what they necessarily get out of them snap wise effectiveness wise etc and nevertheless good for him uh to be on such a quick pace coming off an acl it's amazing how fast these these acls can get taken care of now i know some are more severe than others uh but uh certainly a good sign for him hey maybe in january it's a it's a it's a different story with
1: him uh yeah I, yeah, I think the scenario you you hit it. It's similar to a year ago, uh, in late November when you had Christian Miller and Terrell Lewis and and Mac Wilson um try to get back and and provide some help against Auburn in that regular season finale. But it wasn't really until the college football playoff that you saw those guys kind of back to where they were before injuries.
0: No doubt about it. Uh, Jared. Maiden, we talked about him as well briefly in the last podcast. Of course, he'll sit the first half. Keaton Anderson set uh, to replace him. Is that something if if you're if you're from and, and the Georgia coaching staff, Travis, are are you gonna uh, try to maybe pick on Anderson a little bit early just to see what's out there?
1: Well, I think you're gonna have to go four wide receivers if you're gonna do that, and that kind of contradicts what Georgia is, right? I mean, Georgia at its base likes to go with two tight ends and likes to go with three wide receivers. Now, you know, it may change how Georgia approaches third and long. Maybe they do go with more spread formations and try to get Keaton Anderson more into the picture. The thing is, that six defensive back in the dime, as you know, you're rarely going to see that guy, unless a team just goes straight out five wides, Um, you know, with legitimate wide receivers. You rarely see that six D B end up in sort of a man coverage situation. Uh, and I don't expect that'll be the case for Keaton Anderson on Saturday. He'll still be sort of that last line of defense. The key for Keaton Anderson and that position in general usually is don't let the deepest guy get deeper than you are. You know, it it's it is very much a safety. You know, you're trying to prevent, you know, the over the top big play. So it does look like Keaton Anderson is in line for that spot. And then, you know, we saw during Wednesday's practice, during the dime drill, you had Keaton Anderson at that at that dime safety, but then Jared Maiden was shadowing him. So, obviously, they expect start of the third quarter, uh, they'll come with, uh, in all likelihood, Jerry, Jared Maiden, I would think, at that safety spot.
0: Yeah, some speed and some ball skills is pretty much all that's required and demanded, I guess, at that spot. Uh, being able to judge the ball in the air a little bit and, and have the wheels to get there. Uh, that that's a that's pretty much it I think for uh, in that role. Nevertheless, an important one, especially when you got Fromm back there with Georgia. Some of the weapons. What about the Alabama pass rush, Travis? Your thoughts on how it matches up with the Georgia offensive line? Uh, obviously, as you noted, a, a ton of sacks for Alabama this year, averaging uh, roughly three a game. Uh, Forty on the season, uh, they've been getting it from not only the not only the, the DLs but the backers as well. How does Georgia's OL hold up, in your opinion?
1: Georgia not bad in terms of sacks allowed. Just statistically looking at the dogs, um, in eight conference games, uh, they've given up thirteen sacks. So that that's a top five top performance uh in the SEC Alabama meanwhile in eight conference games just eight sacks allowed so that's a really good number so you know i think georgia feels pretty good about that um although again as we talked about alabama with the astronomical sack production once again this season so you know i think more so than a lot of matchups you know we typically talk about pass rush we start with the edge guys i think for alabama you know, it's, it's still on the interior with Quinnen Williams in there and Raquan Davis. And as I mentioned earlier, Georgia going through some injury issues at that one guard spot. Now, Lamont Gilliard as you know, one of the very best centers in all of college football, so that helps the Dogs having him in there uh, to help out. But Trey Smith is a true freshman right guard uh, who has started the last two games for Georgia and may very well be on the clock for Saturday. So that's a matchup to watch on the interior in passing situations uh again I'm sorry it's Trey Hill I called him Trey Smith Trey Hill the true freshman from Warner Robins Georgia number 55 you'll see Raquan Davis and and maybe Quinnen in there uh against the youngster it'll be interesting to see how he holds up
0: Jake Fromm a guy that's relatively stationary in the pocket Travis and as much you know zone read stuff as you see in college football now with quarterbacks who can move it and 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 hurts you uh, running the ball. Uh, it, it's it's almost a, a little bit of an, an anomaly to to run into a from. Not that he can't run it. Not that he's not athletic. He is. Uh, but for the most part, Alabama's defensive line and pass rushers, they're going to be able to count on being a, on him being kind of on the spot back there. And uh, you know maybe that gives them a chance to pin their ears back a little more.
1: Yeah, it does. And I thought LSU affected him. Um, with some of their zone blitz principles with Dave Aranda and, and even some just outright heat um, and and got him to hold the ball a little bit in that game. Uh, and and Fromm's usually good about not doing that. And since that LSU game, he's been outstanding. Um, he rebounded uh, about the way you would expect. So I think Fromm is also one of those guys, kind of like Tonga Vailoa, chasing that he can help his pass rush um, in terms of his pre-snap Abilities and sort of deciphering coverages and maybe when pressure's coming and where it's coming from, which enables him to get the ball out quicker. Uh, And he's very accurate in most instances against pressure. So, you know, I think that's one of the very undervalued aspects of this this matchup, this game in general, uh, because we get so caught up in talking about Tua and those receivers and DeAndre Baker on the other side and the Georgia secondary, and can Georgia get enough pressure? Look, Patrick Sertan... Savion Smith, Shaheem Carter, they've all had nice seasons. Uh, But in terms of facing an offense that can put you in a two-way bind because of its balance, this is clearly, in my opinion, the biggest challenge for Alabama through 12, 13 games this season.
0: Uh, Prediction time. I guess we'll start with with the line. Travis, Alabama, a two-touchdown favorite, uh, 13-and-a-half, I guess, elsewhere. That's a big number for a team like Georgia uh, to be that much of an underdog at what's going to be, of course, a a neutral venue with a split crowd. But for the year Georgia's had, it's just hard to imagine them being a 14-point dog to anybody.
1: And also a team that's in desperation mode. This is it for Georgia. And, you know, you're you're not going to find an Alabama player that's going to say, well, we've got the, the safety net of still in all, in in probability, making the final four. If we don't win this game, you know it's 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 one and done, one or done for Georgia right here. Um, I I agree. I, I think that I think that Georgia is going to score some points. I really do. I I think Georgia again with that balance on offense, um, is going to be able to put points on the board. It's just that when I look at that Georgia defense, and I don't see the pass rush, and I don't see uh, the ability to, to put Alabama in second and long and third and long via the negative plays, uh, it's hard for me to imagine Georgia winning the game uh, unless the kicking game becomes a big part of this, which if you're Georgia, you absolutely want that to be the case. You have the better place kicker. Um, you had the better punting situation. Uh, so if it comes down to it, you got a guy, Nicole Hardman, who is as good a punt returner as there is in college football. Um. So and you're, and you're facing game. a team that hadn't
0: had to deal with the kicking game all year in any pressure situation.
1: No, no. So that's what you want it to come down to. If you're Georgia, um, is that third phase as much as possible? Uh, but I still lean to Alabama in the game. I mean, it, it's it's hard not to. I, I'm with you on the line, though. I, I think that number's high.
0: You got a score for me?
1: I, I've man, I I still haven't totally nailed down, um a score as of this podcast but i'll go ahead and go 37 27 alabama i was kind of 34 27 37 27 i'm gonna go 37 27 what about you
0: i was a little wider than you on that on both ends i had it 40 to 24 uh which, yeah. I, which I guess would uh i i guess would uh would would cover that get you number, home but, get them
1: home but yeah.
0: uh I, I had 40 to 20 i i think from makes his plays, does his damage. Same with those running backs. Alabama's defense has given up some chunk plays this year to worse offenses. They're going to give up some chunk plays in this one. Bet on that. Uh, But they're going to have more chunk plays on the other side. Possibly a lot more uh, with this with this Alabama passing game working against a defense that may not be able to bring uh, heat anywhere near like it did a year ago. So uh, uh, there you have it, the uh, Alabama Georgia game. Of course, we will be recapping that one uh, on Sunday in our next Talking Tide podcast. Uh, before we move on, though, Travis I came across that 1888 Yale schedule for you. Uh-huh. Uh so here, yeah with the with the taverns Old uh Tom yeah. <laughs> Henderson's bar. Uh, this is this is 48-6. Striking here. They played uh-huh. th- I was expecting to see a six or seven game schedule. They played 13 games. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. How but, many of those teams they played uh-huh. three times though? They they played Wesleyan three times. They played uh Amherst twice it would appear and uh-huh. uh I'm not yeah, they they exactly. played they played Penn twice. Uh, took on the Crescent Athletic Club uh, okay. in early November. Amherst, MIT, they go. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, your your big dog. Uh, probably Rutgers
1: you know I imagine the football games back then being like something from the Gangs of New York a movie. you know like Bill the Butcher was a quarterback for the, the Dead Rabbits or the Natives or whatever you ever see that movie yeah uh, the Gangs of New York oh it's outstanding Daniel Day-Lewis absolutely just stunning in that flick but that's the way I envisioned football in 1888 you meet at the at the five points and uh, you got the different gangs of New York and you you scrimmage there right there in the middle of that
0: the Talking Tide Podcast at Podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Chase Goodbread and Travis Ryer with you for a bit longer. And we're going to thank some sponsors right now, starting with North River Dental Associates, Dr. Jack Smalley and his staff at 1100 Fairfax Park off McFarland Boulevard. It's where you need to trust your family's teeth for sure. Get in there twice a year like you should. They can get you in and out on a routine cleaning in less than an hour. It happens all the time last time i was there documented on this podcast i walked in and walked out in 39 minutes including uh wait time uh for an outstanding professional cleaning over there uh, at north river dental associates the phone number 752-3506 also you can go to northriverdentist.com on the web for an appointment, Jack Smalley, a former Alabama football player under Paul W. Bear Bryant, as a matter of fact, uh, does a super job uh, right off McFargan Boulevard. So go see him for sure. Also want to thank Urban Cookhouse, the outstanding Farm to Fire to Table restaurant over at 1490 North Bank Parkway off Rice Mine Road. Uh, Vince Hunter and his bunch do a super job. They cook that meat on those big green egg ceramic smokers. You just can't beat that. Can't beat the convenience either. You don't have to worry about the campus traffic, the campus parking. It's right there just a few minutes from campus, but you can really get in and out of there in no time. They've got a pickup window for the call-in orders, uh, and you can't beat that. Also, private dining now open uh, where the new farm table restaurant is right behind the building there. Give them a call, and they will not only cater, but also host your next big get-together.
1: It's Urban Cookhouse. Yeah, I had that pepper patch wrap here in the last day or so for lunch. A little side of fruit. You know. You can do it healthy right there at uh, Urban Cookhouse, no doubt about it. I'm going to tell you about Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa out there at 3200, Skyland Boulevard East, uh, the home to the very best selection of automobiles, both new and certified pre-owned. You're going to find them. At Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa. The winter event's going on out there right now. Great deals on both new and certified pre-owned vehicles. Go to mercedesoftuscaloosa.com right now. Get all the details as it relates to that winter event. And you can also check out the entire inventories that sits on the lot today right now at mercedesoftuscaloosa.com. Do that first, then make your way to 3200 Skyland Boulevard East for the very best in selection, sales, and service after the sale. It is Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa. Also, our good friends at Cartier and Lloyd Attorneys at Law. Here's the phone number for you, 205-759-1554. That's going to put you in touch with Mike Cartier and John Lloyd, a pair of Tuscaloosa-based attorneys with a combined 60-plus years of legal experience to their credit, that's right. Since 1992, they've been the trusted legal source for both Alabamians and beyond. So there you go, Cartier and Lloyd Attorneys at Law, two zero five seven five nine one five five four. Also check out their website, www.cartelloydlaw.com. That's Cartier and Lloyd Attorneys at Law.
0: Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher and tune in. We move along Chase Goodbread and Travis Ryer with you for a bit longer. Kind of bounce around some other conference championship action, Travis. The JV, time.
1: the JV games. <laughs> JV
0: games. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh no doubt uh, in a couple of those leagues for sure. Uh, that's that's an app description. Utah versus Washington in the Pac twelve game. That's gonna be a Friday night tilt, Travis. I gotta ask yeah. you, I'm gonna put you on the spot here now. When you look at the Pac twelve playing this game in prime time on Friday night, yeah. uh opposite the other four major conference title games do you think smart move they're putting themselves on the only stage or do you think they're 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 a little chicken to dive in with the rest of the boys on saturday for the ratings
1: i I think the pac-12 knows its place and all that and it's the opportunity to give it a standalone viewership on on a friday night although You know, you still have high school football going on the playoffs. You know, you're still going to have people, football fans at at those games, maybe not exactly as honed in on the college game on a Friday night. But I think it's probably a good move. I think it makes sense. And uh, I guess it's part of the Fox deal, too, right? Fox has that game. I want to say Fox has that game. And then it has uh, the Big Ten game on Saturday night. So, you know, from that perspective, it gives uh, them a couple of primetime opportunities uh, you know, and and uh, you're talking about a game nobody cares about. So if nobody you're Larry Scott, you're playing Washington. If if, you, if you're Larry
0: Scott, you're playing Friday night too.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it's a game that think about that game, Washington and Utah. If you tried to play it between three and eleven o'clock on Saturday afternoon into the evening, I mean, you talk about zero viewership. I think you got a shot. Friday night with this kind of matchup now obviously you don't go into the year thinking well we're going to have two really pretty mediocre to average teams playing for a conference championship that's what we've got um, but but I think it's it makes the most sense for the Pac-12 right now
0: Texas OU out of the gate 11 a.m. early on ABC. Of course, you got Clemson and Pittsburgh playing at night on ABC. uh, ABC. That'll be a uh, 7 p.m. Central time kick. Northwestern Ohio State probably not going to do great ratings, although uh, with with Clemson and Pittsburgh opposite that and the Alabama game already been put to bed by that point, that – in terms of ratings, Clemson versus Pittsburgh and, and Northwestern, Ohio, it's kind of a pillow fight, isn't it?
1: It is, but in terms of markets, you're talking about Columbus and Cleveland and you know all those kind of coming together with that Chicago market. So, um, you know, that could be pretty good, especially with Notre Dame off. You know, Notre Dame not having to play in a conference championship game. So it, it may do better in the Midwest, um, but neither one of those games, uh, again. It, it, when all this shakes out if alabama loses to georgia and the sec gets two more in for a second straight year and the rest of the country loses their mind you know it's going to really spearhead that push to 8 um although all that's going to do is create another spot for a third or maybe even a fourth sec team in an 18 playoff um but but you know that that's kind of that's kind of what's going to be behind it too is that when you look at tomorrow night and Saturday, I mean, other than the SEC Championship game, Chase and, and I guess Oklahoma Texas, there's some intrigue there. Well, it, it, these are nothing games. You know, these are throwaway games. And Notre Dame, meanwhile sitting at home, nice and cozy, yeah. knowing they're already in the playoff in Georgia, you know, if Georgia didn't have to play another game like an SEC Championship game and just got to finish at Eleven and one, and number four in the playoff rankings—they'd be in. Yeah, they'd that, be in already.
0: They'll take a check from the ACC, but we don't want to play in your title
1: game, right? Exactly. Help us, help us schedule, and we will take a check while we're at it. <laughs> and uh, but but no, nah, we're good on the uh, we're good on playing Clemson in the title till. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, you know I look.
0: We all call a shot once in a while. And we all miss them once in a while, and I miss my share. One shot I called when the CFP started from day one. I said the last thing they're going to do, the last bend you, that you're going to see in, in, in the, uh, the way that the committee does things and how they look at things is going to be the two-loss team. They still haven't put a two-loss team in the CFP yet, but we've seen everything else, right? We've seen conference champions get snubbed. We've seen two uh, from the same conference in the playoff, like we did last year. We've we've seen them uh, kind of push the envelope or whatever you want to call it. Just just check the boundaries in all, in all directions, but the two-loss team still had still hadn't seen the light of day yet.
1: No, uh, they haven't. But again, it'll um, happen one day, though. It will happen, and 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 maybe it maybe it happens before we go to eight. But uh, maybe we get to eight. Uh, you know, we've had a two loss champion win a national championship back when you didn't have CFP. Um, you know, LSU, what two thousand seven, I think, did that. So, um, it, it, it's yeah. right now the country is flooded with with. Alabama fatigue. It's not SEC fatigue. It's Alabama fatigue. Most of what you're hearing right now in regards to if Alabama loses um, you know, and, and the SEC gets two in, it isn't about the SEC getting two in. it's about Alabama still being in. You know, if Alabama was the one lost team in this scenario and had to win to get in, in uh, Georgia was the undefeated team and lost and still made the four, I don't think you'd hear that much about it. But since it could be Alabama that loses the game and still gets in with five national titles in the last nine years, uh, the, the fatigue's thick at this point. I think that's pretty clear.
0: There you have it, a fiery edition of the Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com. We are going to get out of here now. want to thank you all for listening. For sure, it's been uh, a fun ride this season. Not quite over yet, but the regular season in the books anyway. Uh, again, Talking Tide. Give us a follow on Twitter, by the way, at Talking underscore Tide, of course, is the handle there. For Travis Ryra of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover. Join us on Sunday as we recap the Southeastern Conference Championship game between Alabama and Georgia. Hang tight. We'll talk to you then next time.